I grew up with the understanding that humility is a good thing to have. Humble is a good thing to be. This was taught most clearly in church in terms of my relationship to God in the church that I attended growing up. There is the story of a woman who wants a divorce from her husband. Explaining the grounds for her request, she says that it boils down to irreconcilable religious differences. Religious differences, asks the counselor. You have different beliefs? Yes, the woman replies, my husband believes that he's God and I don't. (laughs) This illustrates what I was taught in my Lutheran upbringing, that belief in God, a God that isn't myself, is a healthy antidote to the natural tendency of humans toward inflated self-importance. We are not the final judge of what is right or good or beautiful, I was taught. We are not the measure of all things. Rather, we find our proper place in relationship to the Almighty. This recognition and acceptance of a power infinitely greater than ourselves lends us, ideally, the appropriate humility. This was coupled with a recognition that we are all sinners. We are all muddy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing that we can possibly do to change this fact, only to accept through the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus' forgiveness of our sins and salvation. As I grew older and my theology went through changes, I wondered about the place of humility in my new understanding of the world. Humanism for example, is considered by many Christians and by many in my family as I was growing up when I heard the word humanism. There was a certain chill in the air. It was seen to be the blasphemous worship of humans in place of God. That is not at all how I understand humanism now, but that was there then. And let me begin by saying that our tradition, the Unitarian stream of our twin traditions in particular has had a hard time grappling with humility. You won't find it anywhere in our principles, in our sources. The word does not appear. I think there were only two references in the hymnal. And I used both of them in this service. Um, But we've had a hard time looking at that. I have quoted before Thomas Starr King, a minister who served both Universalist and Unitarian congregations well before the merger, a Californian, um, describing the difference between Unitarians and Universalists. He said, Universalists believe that God is too good to damn us, and the Unitarians believe that we are too good to be damned. It is certainly true that Unitarians historically, in response to the extremely harsh view of human nature put forth by Calvinism, placed much more faith in human will and reason. 
They said, we can understand what God wants of us by a reasoned study of Scripture and serious reflection on our own experience. We can choose to do good through our own free will. We are not helpless pawns in a divine plan, but active participants in our own lives and salvation. As Unitarianism expanded to include theologies outside of Christianity, as well as the moral and ethical teachings grounded in agnostic and atheistic worldviews, this faith in human nature rarely faltered. Increasingly, the classic Christian teaching about humility was seen less as a virtue than, at best, an unnecessary hindrance to spiritual and ethical growth. And at worst, a manipulative tool employed by the church to keep people in line. The question became of what use is humility? On the face of it, then, it would appear that conservative religion may have held on to humility, whereas liberal religion has let go of it. But things are not always as they first appear. As I began to think about this further, it struck me that our resistance as Unitarian Universalists to proclaim a capital T truth, that is a healthy form of humility. The fact that we can bring many names for that which captivates our beings, that we gather theists and atheists, mystics and humanists, seekers and arrivers, that we gather in acceptance, encouragement, and respectful communication. We do not presume that we can hold the ultimate answers within our community, only that we can walk beside one another with compassion and understanding as we each search them out. We do our best to guard against the arrogance of utter certainty so that we can keep our ears open to new truths and unfamiliar understandings. That can be a form of humility. Further, the Christian theology that I grew up with, for all of its humility, put humans squarely in the center of the divine plan, the pinnacle of God's creation. Humans are meant to be humble before God, but they are humble before a God whose primary focus is humanity. Depending on how you read the two creation stories in Genesis, humans were either created last in the very image of God as the crowning achievement of God's six-day labor, or man was created first and became something of a co-creator with God by helping to name all of the other animals as God paraded them before him. God then finally creates woman in this story from the rib of a man, but that is a whole other sermon, believe me. <laughs> the point is that the apparent humility that comes with acknowledging the creator God of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam is subtly undercut by the arrogance of believing that we are the proverbial apple of God's eye. This leads to an interesting debate when it comes to issues like the teaching of evolution. It has been pointed out that evolution's real threat to conservative Christianity is not so much about the place of God in the story as the place of humans. 
If we have evolved from other forms of life, how do we justify a special standing before God? If we were not a separate and unique creation, how do we revise our understanding of our place in the world? Though creationists and intelligent design folks will talk about the arrogance of evolutionary scientists, this may at least in part stem from their own fear of the humbling implications of facing up to our utter interdependence with the natural world. Humans are a small piece of the whole, a point brought home to us by a variety of indigenous earth-centered traditions, the covenant of UU pagans, by the good work of the UU animal ministry among us. Now, one of the roots of the word humble is the Latin hummus. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think so. Which means ground. One could say that humility grounds us in reality, giving us a true understanding of our place in the scheme of things. Whereas some would find this depressing, thinking of how small our lives are from this perspective, others, like Mary Oliver in Song of the Builders, discover a real dignity. Near me, I saw a single cricket, she writes. It was moving the grains of the hillside this way and that way. How great was its energy, how humble its effort. Let us hope it will always be like this. But this is all still rather lofty, theological, poetic talk, isn't it? Humility may have its place as we contemplate the cosmos, but how about in everyday life? Where is it in our politics? How is it practical in our jobs? How does it play out in our relationships? Is it necessary, reasonable? How do we know if we're humble? What makes us think that we should be? Culturally, we are more than a little conflicted about humility. Have you noticed? We grudgingly agree under pressure that it may be part of a virtuous character, but we are not sure how to attain it. One of my favorite quotes comes from media mogul Ted Turner. He said, if I only had a little humility, I'd be perfect. And if there were a White House humility professional on staff, I have no doubt they would report that our current president's test results were astonishingly excellent and that he may well be the humblest individual ever elected to the presidency. But that's really not how humility works, is it? It is not an attribute to add to a list of attributes that we can brag about. And while we as a culture have a penchant for celebrating the humble beginnings of the famous and powerful, it should be noted that we only celebrate those humble beginnings if it, they don't end that way. It's rather hard to imagine now, but humility was even touted as being a hallmark of American foreign policy as recently as early 2001. If we are an arrogant nation, they will resent us, President Bush said of the international community. If we are a humble nation but strong, they'll welcome us. 
We've got to be humble and yet project strength in a way that promotes freedom. Needless to say, this plan never quite reached the implementation stage. And as far as I can tell from some cursory internet searches, humility has never again figured as prominently in any president's speeches since. But President Bush highlights one of our current cultural problems with humility. He says we must be humble but strong, as if humility implies weakness. The cultural trend is in agreement. There's an utter lack of humility by religious leaders and politicians and activists and pundits and movie stars and journalists and talk show hosts and world leaders. So many are screaming at one another, fighting one another, being as arrogant and unthinking and stubborn and in your face as possible as if any hint of humility would weaken their stance, their argument would weaken themselves. And I hear the words of Mr. Furuta describing how unchecked arrogance would have crippled the soul of his nation. And I wonder, is humility weakness? Or is it the strong assurance of someone who is not threatened by another's viewpoint? Of someone who is not afraid of failure and of acknowledging failure? of someone who is grounded in their own understanding of their place in the world, cognizant of what they can affect, and ever aware of how little they can actually control. Humility may simply be the honest questioning of my own assumed supreme importance. A man named Andrew J. Holmes has a wonderful quote. It is well to remember that the entire population of the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. <laughs> it is well to remember that the entire population of the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. How often am I thinking of that one trifling exception? in comparison to how often I think of nearly the entire population of the universe. It has been said that humility is not thinking badly of oneself. It is not thinking of oneself at all. I believe that this happens only in moments. I think we achieve humility in those moments when we can stop or are stopped by outside forces and are asked just who we think we are. We have time to stop and catch a glimpse of a new perspective. Sometimes we are stopped by a person. We are drawn into their lives and realize for a moment or two, really realize at the core of our beings that the entire population of the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. And we realize, too, that we will not keep this awareness forever, nor will they, that we will continue on our journey and return to our lives that center on ourselves naturally, as will the other person. But for that moment, we are humbled. And though we cannot carry the actual awareness with us forever, we can carry the fruits of that humbling experience, that amazing 
grace. Humility allows us that perspective so that we can be open to another's understanding and experience. Realizing our own failings, we can be much more accepting of others. We can be open to the possibility of new truth. We can share a laugh at our comical obsession with ourselves amidst the billions of life forms in the universe. I had zillions here, and Hanji asked me, is that a real number? Or... <laughs> and though the deflation of our self-importance may be painful at first, it is also a great relief knowing that we do not bear the crushing weight of the responsibility that would inevitably come with being the center of the universe. No, we are joined with others in an interdependent web of life, bringing our great energy to bear on humble tasks. I am open and I am willing for the majesty and magnitude of the macro vision of the universe includes within it the miracle of the micro view, our smallest compassionate actions, while seemingly insignificant in the widest view, are intensely meaningful and play out across that interdependent web. Meaningful from one person to another. They matter. We may even find ourselves hoping that it will always be like this, each of us going on in our inexplicable ways, building the universe. 